Hello, space fans. I'm Astronik, your virtual NASA Solar System Ambassador, and welcome to another episode of Astromedy. I hope everyone's doing well, having a good week. It's Shark Week! Shark Week. It's my favorite week of the year, actually. I always love Shark Week. And I know Discovery doesn't always get it right. You know, they, they put on some programs that aren't really shark science and more of entertainment value. They seem to have lessened that, though, in the most recent years, but there's still a few. But overall, it's been overwhelmingly positive. And uh, this is what this episode's going to be about. It's going to be about NASA and how we do shark science. I like that. So, yeah, NASA helps with shark science. But before we get into that, and we get into today's topic, try not to make it a long episode. I know it's summer. Everyone's hot. Everybody's trying to, you know, get to the beach, do summer things before they're sheltered back up, you know, for the winter. Unless you live in Florida, where it's ungodly hot all year round except for two weeks in January. And my first year down here, it was 75 degrees on Christmas. Now, this is coming from someone who has spent their entire life in the Northeast, where it snowed on Christmas on several occasions. And I think the warmest it's ever been on Christmas Day was maybe a mild 60 degrees, which annoyed me. That I remember that day. I was so annoyed. It was so warm. And I, to me, warm and Christmas just do not go hand in hand. But that's probably because I've spent my whole life under the mentality that, you know, Christmas, snow, snowmen, Santa lives at the North Pole. But, uh, yeah, the first time I lived down here, was it's just it's way too hot. I complain about the heat a lot, and I live in one of the hottest places in the United States. And, uh, yeah, never gets old. But, uh, yeah, I guess you guys are, hopefully you're all enjoying your summer, taking a few vacations. Lots going on in the world of space news, so let's take a look and uh, give you guys a couple of stuff. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm not prepared today. I'm really not. I was going to try to record an episode off the fly. and I usually take some thorough notes. I kind of pinpoint what I want to talk about, uh, but I kind of just know what I want to talk about already. But so I don't really have uh, any notes. Very unprepared. Like that, you know, that guy that runs into class ten minutes late. He sits down and then disrupts the whole class, and you know, people are looking at you. Then you sit down and you lean at the person next to you who is paying attention, trying to learn something. I'm like, hey, psst, uh, what page are we on? Oh, okay. Do you have uh, some notepaper I can borrow? Awesome, thank you. Uh, I hate to bother you again, but uh, can I get a can I get a pencil, pen, something to write with? Uh, yeah, I hate those people. That's happened to me a couple of times in, in college, and uh, I just say no. <laughs> You're in college, man. At this point, you've had plenty of time to prepare for this moment. You're spending your own money if you're coming to class late and unprepared. Your fault. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I get sidetracked so easily. But I'm, a, I'm unprepared. Well, we're just going to have to deal with it. All right. So let's jump into some space news. Just a little bit of space news. So my favorite object, and I will put this on as a quiz every now and then, because if you follow me on Instagram, A-S-T-R-0, N-I-C-K, Astronic, every Wednesday I do a trivia. Five questions, little quiz. See if you get it right. If you get a hundred, you get some NASA stickers. I gotta do, you know, I'll make sure you I get your address, I ship you off some NASA stickers. 
some uh, and if I have any other cool stuff, if if the quiz is hard, nobody ever gets a hundred. I've handed out I think three NASA packs, sticker packs, and for I asked this week uh, if anybody if I'm if my questions are too hard or maybe they just need to you know study a little bit more. And 100% said that they need to study a little bit more. So thank you. Thank you. You don't find the questions that hard. You just don't know the answers to the questions. So that's where I come in. It's my job to make sure you know the answers to these questions. Because I want to give you some NASA stickers. So every now and then I do, how well do you know Astronic? I try to make it a little simple. I throw in my favorite object, my favorite astronomy movie, maybe some cool things about me that no one cares about. But the Orion Nebula, my favorite object, the first object other than a star that I looked at in my uh, telescope. It was the very first object. I saw pictures of it uh, when I was a kid in college, and I fell in love with that object. It became my favorite object. You could see it with the naked eye in roughly almost any sky, city sky, you know, dark sky. You could see it in a... Um, a good pair of binoculars, you could see the Orion Nebula. It, 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 that's how uh, close the object is to Earth. So it's my favorite object. So if you ever see that on a quiz on my Wednesday uh, astronomy, astronomy Wednesdays, sorry. It is astronomy Wednesdays. The answer to my favorite object is the Orion Nebula. So we have some Orion Nebula news, even though that it's a uh, winter, spring, early fall constellation. Can't see it right now. But we're getting close, about a month or so. If you get up at like 4 a.m., you should be able to see it. The Orion Nebula, a famous star-forming region in the constellation of... Come on, it's Orion. We all should know this. The Orion Nebula is in Orion. Anyway, appears to be leaking gas. Oh, no! No, it's okay. Not that kind of gas. Uh, gas and dust from a tear in its gasinous shell discovered by NASA's flying telescope, SOFIA. I have no clue what SOFIA stands for. It doesn't tell me. I should, probably should have looked that up. Again, unprepared. This expanding shell, known as Orion's Veil, originates in the winds that blow from a massive group of stars within the nebula called the Trapezium Cluster. The winds stir wow. The winds stir dust and gas, creating a bubble around the nebula that is expanding toward Earth. Everybody run! No, it's okay. We're fine. We're fine. So far away. Oh, here it is. <laughs> SOFIA, the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy. I should know this. I, I am a solar system ambassador, but I'm not an expert. There's a lot I don't know. But we just all learned what SOFIA stands for. Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy. It's a joint project between NASA and the German Aerospace Center, uh, the DLR. Researchers found a protrusion ju jutting out of space from the Vale's northwestern region. This protrusion gave an impression that its shell has been pierced, allowing yeah, I did it again, gust, dust and gas to escape. I have dyslexia, an undiagnosed form of dyslexia. So that's why the blooper reels are always funny, because I'm always mixing up words. I think it's the first time I've done that on the podcast. But to be fair, I don't often read anything when I'm doing the podcast. Like I said, I have notes, and it's just really to keep track of where I'm at. Note my time, not to get off too topic what i want to talk about next but there's no scripts so i guess reading aloud is screwing me up a little bit um so yeah sophia's uh german built receiver for 
the astronomy. Wow, there's just so many big words here that I just don't feel like reading because I don't know if a lot of you know it. I don't know it. Um, <coughs> it. Now we're still good. That's kind of interesting. So what caused this tear? And why is why is dust and gas leaking out? Um, the outflows of ionized carbon leaking out into space affects the density, temperature, and chemistry of its surrounding region. This, in turn, may lead to the creation or destruction of new stars in the Orion Nebula. That's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, so, yes... You could see a lot of this. Uh, you could see the, you know, the stellar nursery in the heart of the Orion Nebula uh, with any amateur telescope. You could see it in mine. Those in the Orlando area, uh, if you want to come take a look at my telescope, let me know. I'll even come to you. You can't come here. It's just there's too many streetlights. My neighbors, <sighs> we've we've already gone through how I feel about my neighbors. They just keep putting up more streetlights. Now they got soffit lights hanging from their house, which means that they're illuminating their house. Some of them are nice and dimly lit. Others, you can see their house from space. And they won't turn them off. I've tried. They won't do it. They're like, we're keeping out robbers. Okay. Okay. So that's uh, space news here. We're going to, you know, a little bit about Orion. But, like I mentioned, my favorite week of the year. Sorry. Shark week. NASA helps with shark conservation. And I'm going to talk about five ways that NASA does help with shark conservation in the spirit of Shark Week. I'm wearing my Shark Week t-shirt right now. Can't see it, but trust me, I'm wearing it. Um, so while scientists at our partner institutions are directly focusing on shark conservation, NASA's Earth-observing satellites collect key information about the shark's habitat in the ocean. So NASA satellites measure the height of the ocean, it tracks its currents, it monitors marine habits, and oversees the water quality. Um, awesome. Just We could do this from so high up on Earth. It's, and people think that you know the Earth's flat. <laughs> oh, God. Don't get me started on flat Earthers. So NASA's satellites help track marine animals' movement. So what this does is that the satellites, the NASA satellites, um, they collect data and they combine it uh, with field measurements to help scientists construct a clearer picture of like travel routes of sharks and other marine animals. Uh, and in 2009, uh, with the Cloud Aerosol Litter and Infrared Pathfinder satellite, now if you got all of that, it spells out Calypso. Uh, it's a joint venture between NASA and the French Space Agency, uh, the Center National, and that's all in French. I'm not reading that. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. I do not want to mess it up. Uh, sorry, I did not. I don't know French. Uh, but though they, the French Space Agency, uh, they observed a massive animal uh, migration that takes place right here on our planet. Obviously, we're studying Earth. Uh, in this case, marine animals such as fish, krill, and squid they rise from the ocean depths to the surface to feast on microscopic plants and as well as you know zooplankton, other plankton, and even animals uh, on a daily basis. So studies like this, uh, they provide information about the food supply available to sharks and how the changes in their ecosystem could impact the health of sharks and other large marine wildlife. So knowing where the marine animals are, by using the NASA satellite data and field observations, it also supports sustainable fishing practices and reduces bycatch. Boom! Number one way, NASA helps out with shark conservation. 
Awesome. Hey, Discovery, I'm talking to you. You got to get us on there. You got to get us involved in Shark Week. You got to get NASA in there. We got to combine it. Actually, we need a Space Week. Astronomy Day. Or no, we already have Astronomy Day. Astronomy Week. Space Week. A week dedicated to space. Learning about space. What we can do to protect our, our night sky. We are a planet. Technically, Earth. Science is astronomy. We got to get that. We got to get that. We'll talk about that later. But Shark Week. Not going to disrespect the sharks. Love the sharks. Number two. NASA studies the productivity of Earth's oceans. So from space and ships and underwater vehicles. There's that underwater again. Water. Sorry. If it makes you comfortable, I'll say water. Underwater vehicles. NASA's export processes in the ocean from remote sensoring. You want to take a guess what that spells out? Spells out exports. They come up with cool names for this stuff. The exports campaign is studying the ocean's biological pump. So the process by which carbon from the atmosphere and the surface ocean is sequestered in the deep ocean. So this process starts at the surface where phytoplankton draw carbon out of the atmosphere through photosynthesis. So this kicks off the marine food web because phytoplankton, phytoplankton, uh, they turn atmospheric carbon into food when they're eaten by tiny animals called uh, zooplankton. So those in turn are eaten by fish who are then eaten by other fish and then eaten by large marine animals, including sharks. So swallow the cat to catch the bird, swallow the bird to catch the spider, swallow the bird. Sorry. <laughs> That's what it sounds like, right? Uh, from, one, uh, from one large, larger fish to the next. So when fish and marine animals die, they carry carbon stored in their bodies to the ocean floor. Uh, so that's number two. So that's how NASA studies productivity of the Earth's oceans. Uh, and that's the process that they follow in order to study it. So number three. Number three. A Hubble star mapping algorithm tracks whale sharks. Cool, huh? So back in 1986, one year after yours truly was born. I'm old. Uh, not really. I don't feel that old. Uh, a researcher at Princeton University... Uh, he developed an algorithm to map the stars in the galaxies captured by NASA's Hubble telescope. So now that algorithm has been adapted to recognize the star-like patterns on speckled skin whale sharks. Amazing. That should blow your mind. If that doesn't blow your mind, you know, we, should, we, we probably should just, you know, separate from here. That should blow your mind. It's, <laughs> it's mapping whale sharks. Like from star-like patterns. Wow. So this allows the algorithm, obviously, to identify individual whale sharks. Because uh, not every whale shark has the same pattern. It's like fingerprint. Uh, this helps scientists keep tabs on these rare 40-foot-long sharks. Uh, and this is part of Australia's non-profit uh, EcoOcean's Whale Shark Photo Identification Library. Amazing. Whale sharks can get up to 40 feet long. That's pretty darn big could you imagine you're just swimming and a 40 foot whale shark just swims right by you you don't have to fear whale sharks you really don't have to fear any sharks uh you know they, they really only attacked if they're provoked or uh you're swimming at night with a bunch of bull sharks so that was number three wow moving along number four now i might get some pushback from some friends who are you know, who deny climate change for whatever reason, you know. Here's a science book 
you know, that, that was written by scientists who have been working in their fields for decades, who went to school and studied science and publish. What is going on on our planet? And people are like, this is crap. I don't believe this. It's just a part of, it's a part of the earth. It goes through changes. Yeah, we know that. But why is it rapidly going through changes? Read. Sorry. Sorry. Getting off topic again. I get so riled up when people deny climate change. And they try to tell me why climate change doesn't exist. Yeah. They try to. People who listen to the weatherman. Who's wrong. 90% of the time. <laughs> like, well, this guy's a scientist. He's, he doesn't believe it. He says it's weather patterns. Trust the people who work in the field, who've been studying this for decades, who are in the Arctic watching tens of thousands of gallons melt every day. Or the fact that the oceans are rising, a lot of islands are disappearing. In turn, it's having a massive effect on our weather patterns on Earth. Just last year, we had the most hurricanes in a season in recorded history. 2019, we had the hottest summer recorded in history. 2020, we had the hottest summer recorded in history. 2021, we had the hottest summer recorded in history. And here we are halfway through the summer in 2022. Guess what? It's getting hotter. So, I digress. Number four. <sighs> Sorry. 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 NASA measures changes in the sea level rise and climate patterns. So NASA has been measuring ocean height for almost 30 years. You hear that? NASA's been measuring ocean height for almost 30 years. Uh, starting with the uh, Topex Poseidon satellite mission in 1992 through 2006. And continuing with the Jason, the Jason 1, uh, Jason 2 and Jason 3, Sentinel 6, and Michael Fralick missions. These satellites can detect changes in ocean height within an inch satellites that are orbiting our planet are detecting changes in the ocean height with within an inch incredible and it's giving precise measurements of sea level so this information is crucial for understanding storm severity sea level rise the climate patterns like la nina el nino and and other storms that impact marine animals so sea surface height data is also useful for cleaning up marine oil spills sustainable managing fisheries routing ships all of this is to understand the behavior of ocean-like animals like stellar sea lions whales in addition the sea level measurements they are used to derive ocean surface currents and ocean eddies Ugh, i did not say that word correct eddies ocean eddies uh, that continuously stir and mix the water uh, changing its biochemistry and thus impacting the behavior and migration patterns of sharks. So, there you go. All this has sharks are so important for the ecosystem. I don't know if anybody. It's like bees. If bees die, if bees, honeybees go extinct. Do you know what happens to us? We go extinct. We, you have no idea how how important bees are to our ecosystem. So sharks are imperative to the oceanic ecosystem which also in turn has an impact on us so we need to respect sharks we need to respect the oceans and this changes in sea level 
when we're telling you something's going on, listen. Number five. Sorry, sorry. I'm not trying to beat all up on on you. I love y'all. Yeah, we'll wrap my arms around you. Talk a little science. Sorry. And the fifth way that NASA helps with shark science is that they are developing new missions to study Earth's Earth. (laughs) I can't talk today. Why listen to me? You know what? I can't even speak. Why are we listening to me? I, I, I don't know. Maybe because I ask you to. I force you. I send you a text. You listen to my episode yet? You listen to my episode yet? You listen to my episode yet? No. You're listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, NASA has three new missions planned to study the ocean, scheduled to launch this year. Uh, the surface water and oceanic topography mission will measure small-scale ocean currents and swirling to better understand the mixing and transport of water and nutrients, as well as the dispersal of pollution into the ocean. Uh, so monitoring this is important to predict the migrate, migratory patterns uh, of sharks. Uh, this is jointly developed by NASA, uh, the Canadian Space Agency, the United Kingdom Space Agency. Uh, a lot of people are heavily involved in this. You've got so many people with, you know, all over the world trying to help shark science. That's amazing. That makes me happy. Uh, so that's... That's five ways. Five ways and NASA helps. Helps us advance here on Earth with shark science. So NASA and Shark Week. Let's make it happen. Sorry if I got a little uh, little heated with some of this discussion. I'm so passionate about nature and Earth, astronomy, science. And then when I, I hear people that just... Don't believe in any of this. It blows my mind. Uh, um, especially, not because they don't want to listen to what you know the scientists have to say. I'm not. I'm not a scientist by any means. I don't have a doctorate. I've not done any field study. However, I know many people who have. I talk to these people. I read their public their publications. All of their publications are peer reviewed by others. There's nothing more than a scientist who wants to prove a theory but also disprove it. Because they want the truth more than anyone on this planet. Scientists want the truth. That's what science is. Science is truth. And we're trying to find out the truth. So when science puts out information and you don't want to believe it, you're just being naive and stupid. And you're closed-minded. But I love all of you. I'm not trying to alienate any of my listeners. I'm just asking you. For the, anybody who who's a friend of mine follows me. And is denying climate change. I want you to just open up a book. Read about it. Read some peer reviews. But do you know what you can also do? Is you could see it for yourself. Travel to the Arctic. You can do that actually. You know, go outside. Flipping hot. There's so many ways. You, people think that the stars and planets. And all that's fake. It's, an, it's a simulation. <laughs> We're all in a computer simulation. It drives me nuts. Sorry I'm very passionate. But I do want to briefly end since we are talking about Shark Week. So last night there was a special, an an, an episode um, called The Walking Sharks. And it was the best episode of Shark Week that I have ever watched. And I was really tired. I've been working a lot this week. I have uh, pretty odd sleep patterns. And it's amazing that I was able to stay awake to watch this. I love Shark Week that much that um, I'm very dedicated to watching it. 
Um, but a guy, a shark scientist, his name's uh, Forrest Galante. So this is the first time I've ever seen him on Shark Week. Uh, but he's very prominent in the field. He's been doing a lot of this work for a long time. He went to uh, New Guinea to find these very, very rare epaulet sharks. And within the first 10 minutes of the episode, he found a local who he had just met to take him to these sharks where he actually traps the sharks, the, the local traps the sharks, and they're selling the sharks uh, to foreigners for aquariums. There's a shark trade, and it's really bad. And there's so many. One of the sharks were pregnant with pups, and he made a deal with the guy to give him a spear gun so he can spear fish, catch fish to eat, catch fish to sell rather than catching these sharks. And at the end of the episode, it shows a video of the epaulet sharks walking on land. To, and it's the first video in the daylight where they're doing this. And it turns out it was the local fisherman that um, he traded the spear gun, sent him this video. He turned this guy's life around. He, he, they had no clue about sharks and shark science, and he, he went there, politely explained to them, made a trade with them, and it changed this guy's life. And now he's doing shark science stuff, and he's not catching sharks. That's how you change the world. And I was so inspired just by that gesture. And the rest of the episode, they, they, they travel into very, very rural parts of, the, of New Guinea, where there's tribes, they're making friends with tribes. There are so nice people in New Guinea. You would think that they'd, they'd be hostile. They were not. And all he cares about is science and sharks and learning about sharks, protecting the oceanic wildlife. It was just such an amazing episode that at the end of it, I actually cried. I'm not afraid to admit that. I was so moved by it that I cried. And then I contemplated on what I'm doing with my life. Well, you know, why am I not out there? Helping, making a difference, changing people's mind. So that is my goal. My goal is to change everybody's mind in science and astronomy because that's my field of study. Uh, this guy's doing it with oceanic wildlife. Amazing guy. I reached out to him. He reached out back. Uh, pretty cool dude. That's a cool thing about shark science or just scientists in general. Uh, they'll reach out to you. They're not, they don't want to be famous. They just want to make a difference in the world. This guy is making a difference in the world. I'm very appreciative that he re reached back to me within minutes, actually. It was kind of cool. Uh, so if you have Discovery uh, or watching Shark Week, go try to find it. Um, I, the Walking Sharks or the – I can't remember the actual title. Uh, but it was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, cool dude. So it inspired me. Uh, I hope I inspire you. Thank you for checking me out again. Uh, I am Astro Nick. This has been the Astromedy Podcast. And tune in next week for whatever else I ramble out. Um, I think we're going to talk some movies. So I think on, on the on the interwebs, we'll go to Instagram. I'm currently banned on Facebook. Uh, I didn't do anything bad. I really didn't. So Instagram. I will go on Instagram and we'll talk uh, about some astronomy movies and see what you guys like, um, what you guys want me to talk about. What you guys haven't seen, maybe my top five favorite astronomy movies, or suggestions. You know, there's a lot of movies maybe that I haven't seen that I should see. Tell me what I should go see, and I'll tell you all about my favorite astronomy movie. I think I already have, so if you've been listening to the podcast, you should know what my favorite astronomy movie is. Uh, so in, until next time, uh, that'll be Astronic Goes to the Movies. I like that name. Uh, okay, until next time, be curious, be creative, and always look up. 